I am Platt on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Kevin Chong joins me again. He's just published a new book, his seventh, The Double Life of Benson Yu. I'll ask Mr. Chong about this uh, new work that's uh, described as a fresh, unique work of metafiction that follows a graphic novelist who loses control of his own narrative. I finished the book this weekend, and it's a mesmerizing novel that takes place in an urban Chinatown that's uh, recognizable and has characters that are fascinating, challenging, and that demand your attention. The the story uh, takes place in the 1980s and in the present, and, and if I say more, I'll probably end up giving it away. I'll ask Kevin to reflect on uh, some of the themes that recur in the book, trauma, abuse, family, and writing itself. Kevin Chung is the author of six previous books of nonfiction and fiction, uh, most recently The Plague. Uh, his work has appeared in a number of publications, including The Guardian, The Times Literary Supplement, uh, Rumpus, and the uh, South China Morning Post. He is Associate Professor at the University of uh, British Columbia, Okanagan, in the Faculty of Creative and Critical Studies. His website is uh, thatkevinchong.com. This new book is published by Atria Books, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster. Please welcome back to the Plant Online program, Kevin Chong. Professor Chong, good morning. Good morning, Joseph. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. Yourself? Great. Um, the setting isn't explicitly uh, said to be Vancouver, but as I said in the introduction, it is recognizable, and, and I, I would assume because you grew up here that um, it had... A bit of an influence, I guess, in your writing. Yeah. Um, well, my last book was uh, The Plague, as you mentioned, and that was very specifically set in Vancouver. And I think I said everything I wanted to say about living in Vancouver in that book, or I have, I have nothing to add to that. And I, I recall a lot of people talking about it as a, as a regional book or a BC-specific book, so I wanted to move away from that. Um, and there's also the really sort of commercially pragmatic reason of, you know, if you're selling a book in the U.S., to shy away from uh, explicitly stating that it's uh, set in Canada. So I didn't really clearly state uh, what it was. Um, and it's really funny because I, I, I had this sort of generic North America in mind, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, CBC sh- uh, Creek, yeah. you know, where it's not specified whether it's Canada or yeah. the U.S. But, you know, linguistically, you can kind of fall into a a little trap occasionally when you have to like choose between a Canadian usage and an American usage. I think for the most part I, I avoided that, but then at some point, you know, I had to speak of about uh, a character being a college professor instead of a university professor, you know, because yeah. a university professor is a, too much of a Canadianism. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're from San Francisco, you probably see it as that, or if you live in New York's Chinatown or one of New York's Chinatowns, uh, you could probably see it as that as well, couldn't you? I would think so. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing that clear. You know, I obviously had uh, uh, Vancouver's Chinatown in mind. That's the place, that's the Chinatown I know the best, you know. But, yeah, you could think Toronto's Chinatown, yeah. for that matter, you know. Um, and, you know, Chinatowns have a lot in common, you know. And you can think of, you can use Chinatown as a very sort of, catch-all setting for a lot of sort of uh, uh, Chinese sort of expatriate communities. Yeah, the, and the way the, the way you depict it, it's fascinating because it, it, it's obviously rooted in memory um, and it's special. But, it, but but because it's changing as it does regularly, um, the idea of it being precarious, I think, is a feeling I got as I was reading the book as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely it is in a precarious state. It's always been in a precarious state, you know, uh, 
like right from its inception, it was uh, threatened by you know the city authorities, uh, by you know rioters a uh, uh, hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there have always been you know like uh, th- threats to Chinatown. There, there was sort of like uh, uh, in recent years we've we've had sort of the. The, the issues with anti-Asian violence mm-hmm. and in Vancouver's Chinatown issues with uh, stemming from what's happening on the downtown east side, uh, uh, crossing over into Chinatown and making it feel uh, unsafe for people who want to just uh, come and visit. Uh, I think those fears are, in my experience, uh, overblown. You know, yeah. I, I visit Chinatown actually like a couple times a week because yeah, I play yeah. pickup soccer at Andy Livingston Park and, and I go there to eat and see art and sh- buy books. So it's a really great place to visit. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I do my grocery shopping on Georgia Street there, uh, Georgia East of Maine. And, yes. um, yeah, it's just, I mean, there's a bookstore there, Massey Books. Um, everything you need is on that street. And, and if, if one lived there, as as uh, the characters in in your book, I, I, I would assume live there, or or you know, people do live there. Yeah, um, it's got everything you need, and 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 you don't need to. And and I guess that's what the, that's the thing that I saw about young Benny, is that um, when he's taken out of that circumstance or that area, I should say, um, everything is quite foreign to him, and and he looks foreign to everybody else. Yeah, like, I, I don't feel like Benny thinks of himself as, you know, racialized or mm. outside of the mainstream living in Chinatown. And once he is sort of uh, uh, dislocated, like, he, yeah, he notices, he feels very Asian, you know, like, yeah. and uh, it's a different, it's a, a complete sort of fish out of water uh, situation for him. So so um, uh, young Benny is, is someone that we see... He's not the first person that we see in the book. I guess the first person is, is uh, Benson Yu. And I'll refer to him as Yu, as you, as yeah. you do in the book. Uh, he's a, an, a, an, old, an older person who is, uh, I would say, middle-aged, um, has had some success as a writer. Is that right? Yeah, he's uh, someone who had some success creating a, a comic book figure called Iggy Samurai, who, in my mind, is sort of like the Teenage Ninja, uh, Mutant Ninja Turtles um, Crossed with uh, Usagi Yojimbo, and it was a big hit in the like the like twenty years ago, and it sort of had its time. And he's sort of working as a, a college professor in a small town where his wife has a much more established job. And uh, he early in the story gets a letter from someone who wants money from him, yeah. and this is someone who he has a very sort of tangled past with and because of this letter he finds himself trying to escape by sort of reimagining his childhood trying to create a better version of his childhood story and and that's through the process of writing rather than a graphic novel this is sort of a, i guess a piece of fiction that he's attempting right yeah it's, uh, he's not writing a graphic novel because uh, you know he wants to write something grown up you know yeah. he want, and uh, and i'm not a graphic novelist too so uh, it was, <laughs> I couldn't like extend that conceit much further than I did. The drawing in, in, that we see in the book—that's not yours. No, I uh, Chloe Chan, who did the cover for my book uh, *Beauty Plus Pity*, uh, 
I hired her to do uh, a kind of a mock-up of uh, what I imagined an Iggy Samurai uh, a page of it, page of it yeah. would look like. And uh, she did a great job, and now it's in the book, and it's awesome. Yeah. Um, the, in that first part where we, we see you, uh, YU, um, attempting to write, the, the process of writing is, is, is borne out in that section. Um, and one of the reviews that I read said that, um, I can't remember the exact quote now, but, but paid close attention to, to how sensitive you were to, to that, um, that delicate part of writing. I'm paraphrasing terribly, but, um, was that something that you wanted to think about in, in the process of writing fiction about, about what it's like for the writer to do that? You know, like when I first wrote the, the first draft, there wasn't any presence of you, uh, why you, yeah. uh, in that first half, you know, like I was, it was pretty much Benny and Constantine and them meeting together and they were kind of like buddies. And I got to the halfway point and, you know, I got, that's as far as I had plotted out. I knew that the boy would have to be sent to his father and I built up the father to be this sort of terrible figure, but I couldn't imagine how he could be so terrible. You know, like what would make him such a despicable person? And then at some point, I just had this little flash of insight where, you know, Benny's going to be visiting a version of himself. Yeah. And that's getting ahead of maybe your story. So I'll I'll backtrack a little bit. But uh, I think uh, with Benny and uh, his story, I I, I didn't necessarily want to write so much about writing off the top. You know, Mm -hmm. once I started thinking about Benson... Then I started thinking about what it is to be a writer, you know, and, and that can be a little too navel gazily, you know, and and in some ways, his version of a writer is is kind of like it's a over it, it's it's a dramatization, uh, and, and it's kind of almost like a cartoony version of like my daily process, which isn't <laughs> as like. Uh, Angsty, to be so some people might think you're romanticizing the, the 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 struggle of being a writer, but I guess it doesn't feel like that when you're in the midst of it, does it? Uh, when I'm in the midst of it, I it's it's like this like uh, it's almost like this meditative process where you're just like you're banging out the words. I have I I have a few sort of images or like a, a couple of like key points in the story in my mind and. And it's like almost like you're taking flight in some ways where you start writing and I start a lot of things and they don't go very far. And when you know that, when you keep you go back every day and you keep, can, you can keep writing, it's like very exciting. It's like taking flight. Yeah. And at some point, you know that you're going to finish it. And that is like an exhilarating feeling while you're in the middle of it. You know, you just need to keep, sustain this energy and you don't. I always think to myself, I don't want to be hit by a bus. I, you know, I have to be extra careful. Like, you never want to be hit by a bus. But, like, there's something important to be uh, about finishing this. You know, like, I really, I need, I'm really excited and sort of uh, uh, absorbed with this project. And it's a really exciting process to be writing a draft. Now, a lot of people think of that as the be-all and end-all of writing. But, you know, write, writing is also rewriting, writing is also reading, writing is also thinking of ideas. But that moment of drafting is you know, definitely uh, why I'm still a writer. You described a moment ago um, the idea that you had for, for the time jump that we read in the mm-hmm. book, and you described it as a flash. Um, 
that sounds exciting to me as a reader that that, that you would be struck by uh, inspiration, if you will, or a new idea. Did, did it feel like that at the time? Yeah, it was it was a little scary because like it wasn't what I had in mind. And I remember sitting on it for a couple of days. Like I, I, I had this idea and I jotted it down. Uh, I don't have a very sort of uh, high tech way of sort of keeping my ideas, but you know I have like a draft folder of my Gmail and I just randomly jot, jot down ideas. And I sat with it, you know, like, and then I, you know, started writing it, you know, like so the time jump is. You know, Benny's supposed to be sent to his father. Yeah. And all this time, you know, we, we hear about you, you know, commenting on the story that he's writing about Benny. And in part two, you and Benny are in the same room. Yeah. They're both real, you know, uh, at least in the, the, the sense of the story. And so you have you interacting with, you know, a, a boy who is in some ways like you's long lost son. Yeah. And that's how... You who lives with his uh, wife and daughter sort of uh, treats him, you know. And meanwhile, you have Benny, who in the first half of the book is a 12-year-old in a Chinatown in 1987, transported to the present day in an unspecified college town, uh, a small sort of white liberal town. uh, And he's trying to make sense of why he's where he is, who... His father is because his father isn't the person he remembers. His, yeah, and you know what it means to be in the present. Why he's in the present, and at the same time he, he's worried that he is not well. Like uh, in the first half, you know, Benny befriends a guy named Constantine, who is uh, who believes he's a reincarnated samurai. You know, and, and Constantine is like an alter ego for use abuser C. Uh, and so Benny's all already aware that there's a character, that he has a friend who is in some ways insane. So Benny doesn't want to admit that he exists from, comes from a different time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He thinks that's, uh, that will, that's liable to cause people to turn on him. And so he's holding the secret. And, you know, holding back secrets is, uh, one of the themes of this book, yeah. you know, like when you hold back a secret, when you withhold abuse or trauma, uh, something takes root in you that transforms you. Yeah. Later in the book, someone says um, something about, say, what happens when you don't admit the pain you feel mm-hmm. um, and that it could lead you down one of two paths. Mm-hmm. Um, early in the book, Benny's grandmother dies, and um, he has to contend with that, and, and he's suffering tremendous grief. But he, he he's also unable or unwilling to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, again, holding something, um, and unfortunately, th- th- that has consequences, doesn't it, in, in real life? Yeah. Well, you know, Benny's in a situation where he lived with his grandma. His, his mother died of cancer a few years earlier, and he has an aunt who is supposed to be the next in line to mm-hmm. be the guardian, but she is a little uh, irresponsible and is out of town. Uh, and so Benny's uh, grandmother dies. He's left on his own. He's trying to like sort of like survive on his own until he can get a hold of his aunt because he doesn't want to be sent to his father. And 
you know, he has reason not to want to cry because I think, and, you know, our elders, you know, like uh, you and I are both, you know, from Asian immigrant families. And sometimes I know in my experience that we weren't, I wasn't told to express feelings. I yeah. was told to, you know, to be a good child, I had to sort of hold back any feeling. Yeah, you know? that's what and, Benny's grandmother tells him not yeah. to cry. And that's the voice that he hears throughout his process of, of just after her death. Yeah, and, and, you know, like his grandmother had reasons because she probably had to survive hard things. And, you know, Benny has reasons to to withhold any of his uh, outbursts of feeling because he has to survive for the time being. But uh, it can, you know, if you don't at some point let it out, it overtakes you. Yeah. So, so what then are you able to say in fiction about holding on to this pain and trauma, carrying this burden, if you will, that you couldn't say in nonfiction? Uh, I, I think you can say the same thing, but you can't dramatize it in the same way. You know, like, in this story, you know, like, it's about how people create stories about their lives in order to s- survive. You know, like, you create a story about how your abuser was really your protector. Uh, he was your hero. Uh, and that story can serve you at a certain point in your life when you're young. But as you get older and you have a new perspective, that story fails you. And I can dramatize how a story like that fails you in the story that I told, you know, like I can show a story kind of collapsing, you know, uh, in a way that makes you experience that insight rather than being, having that reported to you, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, as, as I tell my students in creative writing, it's one thing to tell your readers what your characters are experiencing. It's another thing for them to feel them along with your characters. How do you find the time to write? Because you have this full-time job where you're teaching other writers. Um, do, you, do you find that you have to carve the time out and, and you have to be rigorous about a schedule, say? Uh, I wish I were more rigorous about a schedule, uh, to be honest. I... I get an idea, and at some point, like, that idea takes hold of me. And normally the idea takes hold of me, like, in the summer when I'm not as busy, but stuff happens in the summer, too, that can really sort of jeopardize uh, the free time that you do have. And I'm hoping that idea has enough of a grip on me that that I create time for it, to be honest. You know, I, I... uh, I think about a line that Ra- the novelist Rachel Cuss says, you know, you don't make time for an affair, you know, like it just, when something seizes upon you that way, uh, the time sort of creates itself, you know, and I, and I feel that way about writing a novel, you know, where uh, if you have, where it takes hold of you and you have such a strong sort of desire to see it through uh, that, you know, you the time finds itself and you don't need a lot of time when you have these ideas buzzing inside you. So, so Benson, the, the our, our narrator, um, he, he describes losing control of the narrative at one point in, in terms of as he's writing. Uh, does that happen to you often? Uh, as I mentioned, that little flash of insight was like, was this, like that too. Yeah, like with a yeah. character. Uh, yeah. There's a moment where the characters, uh, that Benson talks about, uh, do things that, he doesn't want them to do. And uh, yeah, it does happen, you know, like where you have a grand plan for where your story is going to go, but then you've written your characters in a way where it's not natural for them to go that way. They have to go somewhere else. 
and you can either sort of you know reset your characters earlier on and so they can go where you originally intended them to go or you can chart a new course I normally chart a new course I, I'm I'm yeah. not so dead set on things and my stories aren't that plot driven where they have to be um, how do you come up with the names I, I was thinking I jotted some names down that I was curious about Mrs. Renzulo the oh. teacher Bronson Roderick these are kids in, in yeah. the class where, where do these come from? Where do they come from? Um, Renzulo's is the market on Anaimo Street. You might know that, right? Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, we like that market. And so that was the name for that. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, there are a lot of Chinese names, you know, like especially of a certain generation. Yeah, that would to, be of our era. Yeah, yeah which yeah. Would, would ended on in a son, you know. Like, yeah. uh, so that's one thing. Benson, Bronson, uh, Roderick. I, I think they were, there's a certain sort of, style of naming an immigrant child, uh, at least for uh, like Chinese Canadians and Hong Kong Canadians, where it wasn't necessarily the norm. Like, Kevin was a real sort of like uh, uh, iconic Chinese Canadian name, like, to be honest, and Jason, I think. But then yeah. there were all these names that were a little out of left field, you know, like... like American, but they're not common American, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I've got a, a cousin named Cannon, you know, like... Uh, C-A-N-O-N? C-A-N-O-N. Oh, one C-A-N-O-N, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's... I'm not sure where they, they came from, but I think it's a name somewhere. It's a first yeah. name somewhere. And and then there's like a whole sort of... Uh, there's a lot of commentary on how odd a lot of Hong Kong Canadians' names are. There's like a... I think a real estate name, agent named Turbo Wang in, in <laughs> Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, Vancouver, that is. Uh, so... Yeah, coming up with those names, you know, like I, I had to think to myself, like, what would be a name I, I could imagine seeing, you know? And they're, and, they're memorable to me. I mean, I, I remember them, even though they appear briefly in the book. I just I remember them. Yeah, and I, I don't think I knew a Bronson, but I knew an Alton. Mm -hmm. My brother uh, has a best friend named Aldrich, you know, like they're names like that. You know, it's, it's funny, like... Uh, I don't know exactly what the the formula is, but uh, it, it had to like chime in a certain way that sort of evoked uh, the, the kids I knew when I was a kid. You um, tackle entering one's middle age by mentioning how hard it is to to um, say uh, maintain friendships or even start new ones, especially start new ones. I should say in one in one's forties. Um, a character in the book talks about this, and, and, and since I'm not far behind you in life, um, and I've been reading you for about 20 years now. Um, Thank you. I wonder if you've come to some conclusions as to how we contend getting into these middle years. Um, is there something that you've made peace with that, that perhaps might give me some insight as I as I trot on or creak into middle age? Oh, it, it's... It's tough, you know, like, um, it's really good in some ways. I feel like these are prime earning years. You're watching, in my case, my kids grow up, and that's really exciting. Uh, but you're also squeezed, you know, in terms of your time and having, uh, you know, aging parents, in my case, or aging mother, in my case. Mm -hmm. um, and coming out of the pandemic, which is like a trauma we all experienced uh some more than others, uh, you know, there are people we haven't seen in years, you know. I remember I w went to a conference in Seattle about a month and a half ago, and I caught up with some old friends I hadn't seen in a long time, and I learned about some people who had, like, uh, cancer or dealing with divorces. It was just, 
very, very emotionally draining. Uh, just, just hearing about all the things that their people have had to go through. You know, it's a very tough time. You yeah. know, uh, and there are people. Then there are also people who are dealing with like major ailments that sort of uh, set in in uh, middle age. You know, like people dealing with cancer, people dealing with uh, other sort of uh, health challenges, and that's really hard even as a bystander to witness, yeah. you know? And so do I have any advice? Uh, you know, take care of your health, you know, like, uh, you know, be, you know, do things that make you happy and be physically active and try to like maintain some community ties, you know, like I really, I wait till the end of the term and I have a list of like three or four, or four people. I uh, plan to meet up for coffee just to maintain the friendships yeah. that I do have, you know, like, uh, and I think that's uh, really important. I um, reread um, the file here from notes from previous interviews. I reread a, a beautiful piece you wrote about your stepson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was in The Walrus. Um, and uh, as I was reading that, I realized I hadn't seen you, I guess, since uh, you had your daughter. Probably, yeah. Yeah. And. Um, Going back to this idea I had a moment ago about having read you for as long as I have, um, you, you've really grown up, I should say, as a writer, as a person. Yeah. Um, wh- what do you think, um, this book in particular, um, wh- what insight have you derived being a, uh, having been a, become a parent? I mean, is there, is there some um, wisdom that, that from, from that experience that you were able to, say, bring into this, this book? I'm not sure if it's wisdom, but, you know, when you have a child and you see the world through their eyes, it also brings back memories of what it's like to be a child. And uh, that informs the writing of this piece. Uh, And you realize how vulnerable a child is. Uh, You realize that so many things can be things they'll remember for the rest of their lives, and you don't wonder you, you want to minimize the terrible things that they remember for the rest of their lives and maximize the positive things. Um, and so I th- think about that a lot. Um, and then that whole idea of sort of like the stories you construct as a child mm. about who you are, you know, like I think that that is something that's really been impressed on me in the last uh, the way years. you think about yourself, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think we, we give that as much attention as I think we should mm-hmm. um, and how that's formed at an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just looking at my notes, and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud that I haven't asked you uh, what in the book is biographical. I've tried to, I guess, skirt around it. But um, is, is that something that, that annoys you when you're on a book tour like this about people what they pick your brain, say, and ask you um, <laughs> uh, what uh, personal experiences you've, you've infused in this book? No, it doesn't actually. You know, like I've written like memoir, you know, and and it's always funny. Like, what did you make up? Is sort of like one question, you know. And, but I have a I have a main character who's born the same year as me, you know, and in some ways that allows me to be more in the moment with the character and think about who I was at that time. And I think that yeah, is useful to have as a starting place. I think that's why a lot of people have main characters who are somewhat like them, you know, but, and I had, had a grandmother who, uh, lived in Chinatown or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure how you define Chinatown, but, 
on Hastings Street, a few blocks east of Maine for 20 years, who uh, partially raised me, and who I, uh, who my brother and I lived with, like in the summer, or stayed with uh, when my parents went away uh, to Hong Kong. And so there are these autobiographical elements, you know, like like Benson Yu, uh, the, the adult character. Um, I've uh, also been a uh, university professor, mm-hmm. uh, and so I have some of those experiences. I'm also an author, you know. Like, so there there are definitely things that transfer over, but there, there's also enough that's different, and there's some stuff that's so wildly different, you know that. I'm comfortable, like that. You know, people won't see me as being exactly that person. <laughs> people will read the book and wonder if if, if you're like some of the, the 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 less than flattering parts of of Benson. <laughs> yeah, and I've got. I think I've got like uh, I've written four novels, and I think like in like three of them, like uh, like like the, the main characters are only children. You know, and mm. I I think I did that just because I didn't want to like write a you know, a sibling character, but I have a brother, you know, yeah. like, and uh, they don't want to give him the short shrift or pretend that he doesn't exist. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's one of those sort of like practicalities of writing fiction where you kind of want to like, uh, not have as many sort of uh, inessential characters as possible. I was going to ask you, Kevin, about your least favorite part of writing, but, uh, but, but the question that I think is more interesting to me is, is, as you write different things, you, you write nonfiction, you write fiction, you write pieces for the newspaper. Um, uh, d- d- have you changed as a writer? Do you think in, in these twenty years or so since you've been writing professionally? Yeah, you know, it's sort of changed incrementally in some ways. You know, uh, I think the biggest change in the last few years is I've you know I've been a professional writer. My first book came out in two thousand and one, and I was you know, writing a little bit before that. But yeah. I feel like I can see how my early writing was a product of not only my age, but also the the time and what I was reading, you know, and yeah. and the writing changes because, you know, the times change, you know, and, and that's the kind of insight that I appreciate having, sort of institutional memory that I appreciate having uh, as a middle-aged adult, you know, like uh, knowing that all your so your so-called original thoughts were really not as original as you would have liked. And uh, that's something I enjoy. You know, like, I, I always feel like I'm moving towards or trying to move towards being uh, realer, you know, like more truthful about the characters. And that involves sort of self-knowledge, knowing who you are. Uh, I, I think that is really exciting. Um I think I move I move further away from irony, you know. That I think that still exists in the writing that I have, you know, in a different way. Um, my own reading tastes have really changed in the last twenty years. I think when I was in my twenties, when I wrote my first book, I think I pretty much exclusively read sort of white male authors, mm-hmm. pretty close. And and in the last, you know, I guess five, ten years, I've really moved almost to the opposite end of the spectrum because I've had my fill of those kind of writers and that sort of canonical uh, mainstream experience where all these people have a certain sort of privilege that they can write from, you know, uh, where everyone has to assume that, you know, the cultural references they make are ones we should all know, you know, and 
I, I don't enjoy reading those kinds of writing uh, as much as I once did. The internet, I guess, the, the, the explosion of the internet, I guess, coincides with, with, with your career as a professional writer. Um, I mean, it was around in, say, the late 90s, but it, it really, I mean, it's on our phones now. It's much more accessible and, and, and the sort. Um, what influence has that had, do you think, on your writing? Uh, it's funny, like, uh, I think they're kind of logistical influences. You know, like, I was born in 1975, and I think... That means, like, I'm probably of the last generation of people who just became adults without an internet, you know. Mm. And I remember I was in Toronto in 2011 for a book event, and I went to a bar, and there was a bartender that looked really familiar to me. And then I realized I used to work with him at UBC, and he was the person who showed me the internet. You know, mm. he was like, you're the internet, <laughs> you know, and it's like... Can you imagine that? Like saying that to somebody who's like whatever, like twenty one. Oh, like there's the, a moment in in the book here where uh, Benny has to contend with that. Yeah, he doesn't know what that is. You know, the world he prefers to I think the World Wide Web. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they make fun of him for being like uh, having like a senior's ability to use the internet. You know, <laughs> and honestly, that that's sort of a joke because I think a twelve year old from nineteen eighty seven would figure out the internet in a, in a day and yeah. would be so excited, probably just looking at porn uh, <laughs> the whole time. But um, yeah, the, the internet. Like I got the tail end of being a, a journalist. You know in the print media sort of age, you know, where yeah. I, for a while I could make a bit of a living, you know, and I think people still kind of make a living doing it, but it's, it's very disheartening to be doing the same thing for 20 years and the rates are still the same, mm, you know, and I still yeah. freelance here and there, uh, but I don't do it as my main source of income, thank goodness. Uh, but the other rates are still very static and it's very dispiriting, even though the, it's moved from print to uh, online. Um, in terms of, you know, researching on the Internet, that can be really useful to, you know, do like a Google Street View of places mm-hmm. or to quickly look up things, you know. Uh, even like using, I guess it's not uh, up right now, but the Internet Archive to like quickly yeah. look at like uh, a scan of a book can be really useful. Yeah, the, the, I was trying to look in the file there. I used to write a column for The Sun. Oh, yeah. And I forget what it's called. I, I read it last night, and I forgot now what it was it's called. called. Like screens or something like that. So something about blogs or, or yeah, yeah. And um, I, I remember looking for that every you know every time the sun came out and and wanting to read you, and because that was you know the the, the internet was just you know we, we started getting access I guess and not not just at school but at home, and looking for things that we wanted that were interesting to to look it was up a, online. It was a good job, you know. I remember just like looking looking at websites and blogs that I liked every week instead of porting on them, cracking a few jokes. And then I would like paste the URL into this sort of print <laughs> column, which is like, you know, it'd be like whatever, 25 <laughs> random letters. Uh, and I can't imagine how many people would want to do that, but that was just what I did, you know? And, uh, that was uh, yeah, that was a good time. I remember like writing about you know like, YouTube, discovering yeah, YouTube. Yeah. It was like here's this thing called YouTube. Like, <laughs> it, so it was like I only had it for like a year and change, but it was like a fun job for a little while. And then you wrote about dating in Vancouver Magazine. Oh yeah, with Alex Gill. Yeah, you're really like uh, not I'm a big me fan right here, now. Yeah. Like, uh, but yeah, I did. Yeah, it was, that was only for. That was pretty short-lived, too. Like, they'd make up questions, and I, we would answer, and I'd be, like, the nerdy guy, and, and uh, Alex would be, like, the Sex in the City character or something. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, that was a that was a pretty good gig too. So you've been writing about Vancouver neighborhoods in in Monte Cristo as of late. Um, when will you get to mine? <laughs> uh, well, you were just talking about stuff, and I was like Riley Park. Maybe that's it. Are we officially no. Riley Park here? Well, the the the, the, the riding federal riding is Kensington, yeah. Vancouver Kensington. Um, I've also seen it referred to as Cedar uh, Kensington Cedar Cottage. Now I don't know where Cedar uh, Cedar Cottage I guess is closer to Maine. No, I think Cedar Cottage is like whatever. Oh, no, Knight, pardon me, Knight, yeah. Knight and like, uh, yeah, Knight and Kingsway, yeah. that area. Uh, I don't know where Kensington comes from. I mean, it doesn't look like England, that part of England. I wouldn't know, but like, uh, I'm using, like, mainly I'm using the Vancouver neighborhoods yeah. uh, listed by the city or their, whatever their areas. Yeah. They're like 22, but then I've had to subdivide some of them because some of the neighborhoods are. Too big for that. Like the like Strathcona is officially the downtown east side, Japan Town, or the Japanese uh, area, yeah. Chinatown, uh, the residential Strathcona, and that's like too much for just one piece, one, one, you know. Yeah. And then there are areas that I'm not sure I have much to write about. We'll get we'll, uh, that I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, this I think this is Riley Park. I'm not sure, and I see Mountain View. Like on the on the, on the on the street posts, Ban- yeah, those banners. banners, yeah. Um, so that's what Mike Klassen calls it. It's, it's always called it Mountain View, or referred to it as Mountain View. So I have to like, yeah, like really look at my map very closely, to decide when I'll get to this one. But I do want to write about this year because I live here too in this yeah. neighborhood, and I think it's pretty interesting. You have like the cemetery, which is a big source of uh, writing about, and then. I think maybe not Bailey too, yeah. like in not sure, and then Tupper and like various prominent people like Mabel Elmore, and uh, so yeah, that story kind of writes itself. You know, I think it's Riley Park would be a pretty interesting and easy neighborhood to write about. Uh, there are some that I'm worried about. I'm I'm trying to do them in a way where I don't do all the interesting ones first, and then like <laughs> I have to s- struggle through writing about I don't know Dunbar or something or, like that. Or, um... It was the southeast part of the city for you, the um, Champlain Heights. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> that, that 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 is worrying me actually. I was like, I need to do, I need to do Killarney soon because uh, uh, I just get it over with. But uh, those get less traction than uh, like writing about Strathcona does. Yeah. You know, I, I love the pieces, and I I, I can't. Um, I, I'm trying to think why I like them, but I just I, I just like. A fresh take, if you will, on these places that I know that you know neighborhoods that I live close to, um, and uh, it makes me think about you know why I like a neighborhood or don't like a neighborhood, um, and, and I'm wondering um, as you ponder the city as you go through neighborhoods, how do you feel about Vancouver at this time? Uh, well, writing about the history really makes you realize that the things, the conflicts that happened when the city was founded, you know, in terms of uh, its treatment of indigenous folks, the dispossession of their land, mm-hmm. uh, the treatment of sort of people outside the sort of Anglo uh, a majority or Anglo mainstream or Anglo power holders, uh, all that stuff still has reverberations, you know, uh, because we have ignored them or, you know, you know, put band-aids on, you know, gaping wounds. And as a result, you know, they've bubbled up, you know, and they're still 
you know, it's really interesting how things from the past I can tie to things in the present, you know, mm, and yeah. that's one of the fun or interesting things about writing about these Vancouver histories. I like that they're like whatever, a thousand words, and they sometimes I, I have to really, really glance over things and I can throw in a bit of my own commentary and opinion on things, uh, name drop people. Uh, you know, I have a couple of sort of, you know, iconic sort of Vancouver books. The works of Michael Kluckner oh, uh, yeah. is sort of indispensable. Daniel Francis's book, uh, Becoming Vancouver, I found really useful. And I draw on them, but I also try to draw on, like, books by, you know, like novelists who've written about Vancouver, uh, be it like Luigi Gartner or uh, Charlie Demers or Lee Henderson. And so it's fun to sort of, like... Uh, to go through my library and 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 uh, pick out you know a, a line of poetry from Pat Lowther yeah. talking about the Sunset neighborhood you know like it's definitely uh, in some ways like curating information which I you know is what I like about nonfiction you you collect all this information some of it you know from other sources some of it from firsthand experience and then you just sort of like arrange it you know and it's in some ways very satisfying to arrange it in a nice way. It's very different from writing fiction, which is sort of created from whole cloth, you know, like cut from whole cloth. Uh, so it, in some ways it feels like a very different process and uh, it allows you to do both things at the same time because they feel very different. So I really enjoy them, and, and, and I've said this already online, that um, they should probably be collected and, and, and put into a book one day. Is that, is that perhaps something you've considered for down the line in the back of my head. Yeah. 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 I do think that would be a fun thing to try to, to do, you know, like, and I think I'm on installment six or seven right now. So, you know, I, I guess once I'm like in the teens, you know, like I'm, I'm just committed, you know, like if yeah. I, if I run out of gas in the next two or three installments, like then, yeah, I, I probably won't. But if I, once I get to like, like 14 or 15, I think like, well, I may as well see this through, you know, like, Hopefully I'll, I'll have written Killarney by then, but like, <laughs> and you know what? I lived in Champlain Heights uh, for about a year and a half, you uh -huh. know, and uh, with my parents uh, when I was in my early twenties, and it was pleasant. It was not very fun or, or exciting to be there at that time, but it was interesting enough. Yeah, see, that's a, that, that's how I look at it. it it's so uneventful that mm. um, yeah, it probably go mad you know <laughs> yeah i'm not sure i'll have to really dig through to see if there's any sort of scandals you know like one thing that's interesting that you can do in these little neighborhood histories is like you know if it gets really boring you can always find like a murder that yeah, happened in yeah. that neighborhood and that livens it up i hate to ask this question but what's next for you i mean this is it's a, a great uh, book to read i mean it's, it's paced wonderfully and and, and the, the, there's an element of suspense as I'm reading it, that I didn't expect that I actually enjoyed, uh, distracted me from other things that I was thinking about at the time I was reading the book. Are you working on something new now? I had something I started like a year and a half ago, uh, around the time I sold uh, Double Life of Benton You, and for the life of me, I haven't really touched it since May of last year. And so I'm, I'm going to have to walk away from that for the time being. I need to come up with something new. You know, it's springtime, it's my time to write, and so. I'm going to start casting about for things, but I don't have anything right now. Yeah, It's good to see you again. See you, Joseph. And um, congratulations and continued good luck with the book. Thank you very much. 
that kevinchong.com is the website for more. The book is called The Double Life of Benson Yu. It's uh, published by Tria Books, which is an imprint of uh, Simon & Schuster. It's author Kevin Chong. Join me in person here in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Flanda. <laughs>